Welcome to the Hardwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. This week, TJ and Sam discuss the role of set plays within a team's offense. Should your offense be entirely made up of set plays, or should you put your energy and effort into a continuity offense that focuses on teaching reads and develops decision-making? Whatever your philosophy is, this episode will help you create a well-rounded and thought-out approach to knowing why, when, and how you want to use set plays in your offense. Before we start, a quick word from PGC Basketball. Coaches, our in-person clinics are back, and we couldn't be more excited. Don't settle for being the same coach next season that you were last season. Our PGC coaching clinics will give you the tools, knowledge, and inspiration to transform your coaching so you get the results you deserve. Every clinic features 22 different topics covering all aspects of the game, including essential practice drills, offensive systems, defensive systems, dealing with parents, building a winning culture, and so much more. Join us this fall in Phoenix, Louisville, Atlanta, Dallas, Salt Lake City, or Chicago. If you're ready to take your coaching and your team to new heights, go to pgccoaching.com to select your clinic and sign up. That's pgccoaching.com. Hey, welcome to the Hardwood Hustle. Sam, today we're going to talk set plays, and we're going to talk about age stage appropriate. We're going to talk about if you're going to run set plays, how much, what's too much, what's not enough, and just the balance of set plays. I know a lot of coaches you know, worry and wonder about this and are, are my set plays good enough? Am I running too many? Am I running not enough? And at what age should I be running set plays? So we're going to dive into specifically talking about set plays. I thought we'd kick off by just talking age stage appropriate. Like when should you be running set plays if you're going to run set plays? And what are the advantages, disadvantages is the second part we'll talk about. And then third, if you are going to run, and we'll give you some, you know, healthy ideas and ways to put together your set plays. So, Sam, let's start with age stage appropriate. And what do you think is the right age if you're going to run set plays to be running set plays? I think set plays. I mean, this is a this is a spider web conversation. I mean, my initial thoughts to start the conversation would be this. It's OK to run a set play in, in fourth or fifth grade. Um, and keyword was a set play, like an inbounds play or something to get the ball in. Uh, but I think 95, if not 99% of time should be spent on learning how to play the game, less on, on running set plays. But I do think a set play or two is, an ext- is not extremely harmful as long as it's that and you, and you limit yourself. Yeah. You know, I tend to make the cutoff around ninth grade is when you're kind of getting into competitive basketball. Those are your four years of high school. And, you know, I know it's competitive too. sometimes the middle school ages, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And I do think there's amount of structure that you have to have. You know, I think at almost any age, you kind of how are we going to break the press? How are we going to get the ball side out of bounds? How are we going to get inbounds underneath? And we talk specifically like set plays coming down and running the offense. You know, I, I think really kind of, you know, maybe a little bit, sixth, seventh, eighth grade is, is what I think. And then when you get into ninth grade, you know, then depending on what your offensive philosophy is, then you can kind of veer one direction or the other. As I know, high school basketball gets really competitive. The problem that we see, both of us see a lot of times in watching youth basketball, travel basketball, is you go in and, you know, teams are just running a ton of set plays. Somebody asked me this question. I was actually at our daughter's game, BCB, and Um, you know, they were sixth grade girls and this one particular team ran these two sets and they ran them every single time down the floor. 
And one of the parents uh, actually said that, that team looks a little bit more organized than our particular team. And, and I, I told a parent they do, but watch the set play next time. How many people are actually involved in the play? And it was a ball screen play and they were spaced out. And, you know, the girl nine, eight out of 10 times, she drove the ball and shot it every once in a while. She passed it to somebody and they shot it. And so what I was explaining to the parent was while they look organized, that's not always the goal of youth basketball. The youth basketball is to get better players. And if these other four players just stood in these particular spots, one, you know, one player did set a ball screen uh, and then, you know, rolled off of it. But that's the only thing she was doing. The other three players just stood there. There really wasn't a lot of development going on with the players. And so as a parent watching the game, they could be like, oh, they look like they know what they're doing because they're running X, Y and Z. But the reality of it is only one or two players was touching the ball in the majority of the time, which didn't promote development, which was not really appropriate in sixth grade, in my opinion. Not at all, but that that's a key key talking piece here. That that's a dilemma for a lot of parents, families, event uh, club runners, club operators like myself. Yeah, the perspective could be that they're very structured, they're well coached. You know, that's a term that's used a lot. But look how chaotic that other team is. They're they're, and it's a myth. And chaos is a part of basketball, and it. You have to, as a coach, be comfortable in operating chaos, giving up control, and that's where a lot of the development happens. The best – before skills trainers existed, TJ, what was the best skill development coach? It was pick-up ball. It was playing at the local rec or the YMCA or out in the park. This isn't a get-off-my-lawn or kids-today comment, but that is a reality that you got to be comfortable in the chaos, and that that is a part of basketball, and that's why set plays – are detrimental to the development of all players at the youth level. But I would also say something you said at the very beginning, TJ, about the, there's a lot of, um, in club basketball, there's a lot of like, nobody runs any set plays either, which I know we'll get to in a minute. But set plays, one or two, I don't think are bad. But in general, 99% of the time, uh, youth, youth would be third, fourth, fifth, all the way up into middle school. I think you should just be teaching kids how to play. Yeah. You know, and that's what I explained to the parent, you know, when I was watching that happen, that one girl on their team, you know, probably had to make, I don't know, over the course of a game, maybe 30, 40, 50 decisions. Right. And the rest of the team almost made zero decisions on the offense and the floor. And on the other end of it, where we may not have looked as, you know, quote unquote, as well coached or as well organized, I was happy that my daughter, she was making 25 decisions, as were the other girls. I wanted her to get there and fail. And I think that's a myth in, in youth coaching is that we just need to be uh, organized. We need to be well coached. And need to get, you know, we were disciplined. You know, we had good team spirit. We played hard. We did all of the things that you want a young person to do. And that to me was well coached because we were doing all of those things. That's what I wanted for my daughter. I want her to learn through her mistakes. How else is she going to get better? And so, you know, we'll, we'll get in here to, to the strategy, what's good and what's bad about set plays. I think we're kind of in accordance and thinking, you know, when you're in fourth, fifth grade, maybe a set play here or there just for some organization, you know, maybe as you get up sixth, seventh, eighth grade, maybe, you know, a couple just don't make it the majority. I think balance is probably important, maybe like 80, 20 when you're in middle school, something like that. And then when you get to high school, then it's just based on your philosophy. So I think we agree about that. Now let's talk about the 
the difference and in, in what are good usages of set plays at different ages and stages? Yeah, I want to give context to my answer. You know, when when first got out of college coaching, got into club basketball, very first team coach, you know, I, I ran it similar to a college team, TJ, where we had a base offense, but then we had quick hitters in transition. We had some set plays. And I quickly realized in limited practice time that we needed to put more energy and effort into other things. And so the why behind it became really clear. And so shifted into we had zero side out, zero baseline, zero set plays. And it was strictly on development, two practices a week, an hour and a half. And we were just going to learn how to play and get really good at that, learn how to compete, learn how to play hard. I recognized, TJ, what some of our high school kids were going to their high school programs and they weren't as good at executing a set play. And I would talk to the coaches, their high school coaches, and be like, yeah, they don't really they don't come off the screen the right way or set the screen or they don't they don't think the game. So I recognize, hey, part of development is learning how to execute set plays. That's part of high school basketball, part of college basketball, part of professional. And so that is a development piece. But it, but you have to know why you're doing it. Are you running set plays because you want to put the ball in your best player's hand to your point earlier so that you can win the game and at the detriment of the other girls, other guys on the team? Or are you running set plays so that you can teach your kids how to play? If you don't know why, uh, then then you're not at a good starting place. Yeah. And, you know, going back to what I was talking about earlier, you know, that one girl, she probably got better. But then there's nine other girls on the team that weren't making decisions. And and, and that team probably won because the best players shot the most shots. Yeah. Yeah. And and. You know, and my daughter is one of the better players on her team. And so, you know, I definitely want her to make decisions, too. But all of those kids are still in development. Like if I remember back when I was in sixth grade, it's a long cry from who I was as a high school player. And thankful I had the opportunity to develop, whether it was working with my dad or, or other coaches. But not every player has access to good coaches when they're when they're growing up. And one of the things I think is really important when you're thinking about set plays, you know, even when you set a down screen or you slip it or whatever. A lot of times in set play, every if the four does the same thing every time, the three does the same, they only really get good at one thing. And that's why if you can set screens, use screens in your motion offense, in your read and react, in whatever it is you're running, they're all going to get better at that stuff versus one girl getting good at one particular thing. So I like a lot of the action coming out of more of like a motion like offense. Yeah, and that's that's one thing I've recognized or grown as a coach is trying to, within the motion offense that we put in place, having quick hitters or calls out of it that aren't different than what we've already taught them. But we just said, Hey, we want to, we want to go 50 downs. And that, that means five out and we're going to set two down screens to start the act, but we've all, that's a part of our offense, but it's a way of getting quick hit, quick hitter. Hey, we want to look for uh, you know, a chase, a chase action with, you know, two players. So I think when coaches are building out their offense, you can have little quick hitters that still allow for that total player development with all your players. Yeah. And it, it, it's really beneficial. You're right. I mean, th that's the value of set plays is, you know, when you get to that ninth grade level, you do need to know how to set a screen. You do need how, how to slip or how to seal or, you know, things like that are good basketball actions and they're very useful. And so if the gist of what you're trying to teach at a youth age is execution and doing things that they can use in basketball, no matter what offense they run that are going to help them. That's a good thing. 
if it's very specific, like the, the idea I gave you earlier of the one girl and the ball screen every single time, then there's a lack of the team actually getting better at those skills. So if you can make more of the focus and if you want to have a practice session where you're setting down screens and playing two on two or three on three or four on four or whatever it might be, if you want to run those, those are good actions to be practicing to teach players how to play the game. And if you are going to teach set plays, a lot of times coaches just stop at here is the play where the really important teaching pieces come in the actual execution. How do I set a good screen? How do I roll out of a screen? And I think that gets missed a lot of times when coaches teach these plays. They just tell X's and O's where to go, which actually doesn't make better players. Exactly. Yeah, well said. I think, TJ, one thing that happens is coaches at the youth or the club level, I don't know if it's as important. Actually, I'm going to say, yeah, it is as important at high school level, too, to articulate the why behind the what, to tell, to communicate to their parents why they're doing what they're doing so they have a better understanding so you don't have a situation like you mentioned earlier where a parent's in the stands and thankfully they say it to you tj because you you're a coach and you know how to do it and you're you're kind of a protector of the system a liaison like for somebody like myself and but they don't know they don't know what they don't know but if if coaches or we did a better job of communicating the why behind the what and they don't know that really well, all they're doing is setting a ball screen for the two best players. That doesn't mean they're quote unquote uh, better coached or more structured. That means they just set a ball screen for the two best players every time. It doesn't equate to better coaching necessarily or a better system. And I, I think that's a key piece. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you. And I, I think that one of the things that can be lost in that translation is a lot of times parents just want to win you know, and they're not really devoted to the growth of their child. They just want their child to be happy. And that can be difficult for people to understand. But, you know, if you really are interested in your child or the players you're coaching becoming better players, you got to play the long game sometimes. And that's where I think people really struggle because we want instant gratification and where development really happens, where growth really happens is in the struggle and they need to be able to struggle. And, you know, I, I know that for my daughter, like I don't really get that fired up at the games. I don't really get to, because I know that, Hey, look, she's going to have some good moments and bad moments from all these times. She's going to have good moments and bad moments, even after she's learned, but it's more important for me for her to learn than it is for them to go out there and win a game. But I think that gets lost sometimes on parents and coaches. Absolutely. I know we talked about that a lot. Very few can see, play the long game, see the long game, understand that failure and setbacks are part of it. I love what Phil Mickelson, I don't know if I didn't see the tournament, but him being the oldest guy to win the major, did you see the quote that he had? He said, I've failed many times in my life and career. And because of this, I've learned a lot. Instead of feeling defeated countless times, I used it as fuel to drive me to work harder. So join me today in accepting our failures. Let, let's use those to motivate us to work even harder. And I don't know that that's a message that, that, many parents take on well i was going to tell you a quick story i won't share identity one of our teams tj the parent comes up to the coach after the game and they lost by like two points our, our bcb team and he's like yeah you know coach i think i think you could have run a little more ball screen two man at two game action and and his son is one of the better players <laughs> and um and he's like yeah i think we could have really taken advantage of him and a very competitive guy well you know, the coach is like, you realize they played a one three one the whole game, right? <laughs> and the, the parent doesn't even know that that sort of thing. 
Um, but that's what parents are seeing in the stands is they just see it, but they don't know the why behind the what. We have to help educate parents, I think. Yeah, and also, you know, on, on top of just educating the parents there, because the message given once, it almost has to be repeated multiple times because it's forgotten really quickly. And it's forgotten almost as quick as the win and loss is forgotten. That's what parents don't realize. You know, next weekend, you forget about last weekend. And but in that moment, everything is riding on on that game and that win. And you got to you just got to put it in proper perspective. But what, why do you think parents and really people are so fixated on this short term fix at such a young age? Like, I get it if your son's a high school senior and, or, or she's a high school senior. It's her last year of high school ball. And maybe, you know, the light is at the end of the tunnel and it's right there. But why are we so fixated at fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, at these young age groups. Why is our society like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the answer is just in the question. I think it's just society. That's what we've been trained to do. You know, it's win or lose. It's, you know, all these different things. And I love winning just as much as anybody. But, yeah, I, I think just having done it for a long time gives me perspective and, and recognizing the journey of a basketball player. But for parents, I mean, that's their one kid's journey. That's their one experience. They just want to win. They just want to, you know, and I don't think parents are coming from a horrible place. I think they just don't know better. You know, I just think, think they can see the long game. Maybe they've never been down the long game. Maybe they can't envision it because they're so engulfed in their child's experience. And, I, you know, so I think a lot of times it's really sourced from a place of wanting to love their child and see them succeed which is not a bad thing, but at the same time, it's just misguided. It's just not understood what the long game is and what it means and, and how you want your child to develop. And, you know, I mean, look, we all, I've used the quote a lot of times, it's not our job to prepare the path for the child, but the child for the path, you know, so that they can handle the adversity that comes along the way. And I can say as a parent, that's easier said than done many a times because I just want things to happen well for them, you know, and we all want things to go good. We want to see a smile on their face. We want to see them, you know, drinking the Gatorade happy. We want to see them, you know, we, we all want that for our kids. And so I think that's where it gets lost and we ha- we lose perspective on what really the challenge and adversity brings to them in their life. Yeah, I think you're right. I'd, we're not going to figure it out right now. But parents, I would say they're they're older most parents, most adults have experienced setbacks, adversity, not most, all of us have experienced some level of setback, adversity, and obstacles. And we, I would think that everybody understands that that's a part of the success plan as part of making us better. And because of that experience, maybe my expectation is much higher. I just, I'm like, surely parents know that, have experienced it, lived it, and therefore, want to pass that on to their kids. Yeah. And I don't know that it is. I mean, we'll get back to set plays here in a second, but I think a lot of times what really it is, is that, you know, you hear parents say all the time, well, I didn't have this growing up. I want my child to have it. And my question back is, is look, Hey, how do you think you turned out not having all that stuff? Maybe it was actually a good thing that you didn't have all that stuff. You had to figure it out. You had to live through some adversity. And we just think by giving them that it's going to make their life better. And in reality, we don't stop and think, you know, actually, because I didn't have this and that when I was growing up, it actually I'm a better off for it. And I just don't think we see life that way very often. But 
Yeah. So I, you know, parents, that's one you're going to have to fight through and coaches, you're going to have to fight that battle with parents, which isn't a fun one along the way. I would make sure that you do what Sam just advised you a minute ago, articulate it over and over again. If you're trying to run a good youth program where players are developing, you got to give them the why behind the what. All right, let's talk about when you are running set plays. Now we moved up to the high school level and beyond, and we're actually running set plays and maybe a couple down below. Like what the best way to organize and bring these about? I know one of the common phrases or terms we hear a lot now are like a family of plays and, you know, maybe the beginning changes, but the middle stays the same. And, you know, that can be complex at times, but I also think it's, you know, pretty valuable depending on what age you're, you're coaching is having really common actions in there. Like let's say that you have a zoom action or you have a back screen, down screen action or something like that. And you run it in multiple set plays, just you disguise it differently. That can be really effective in running your set plays. And, you know, another thing that I think about when running your set plays is the diversity of them. You know, we usually try and put in a package at the college level where we have, I don't know, eight to 12 plays. And, you know, as the year goes on, we add to that package. But in that eight to 12 plays, we're trying to vary up what we're trying to get out of them. Some may lead to a post touch. Some may lead to a back door. Some may lead to a, uh, an open driving space. Some may lead to a three, three pointer attempt, you know? And so I think as you're developing those as coaches, you want to think about, you know, what options do I have out of these set plays? What multiple options do I have? What am I trying to target in this set play? And do I have a variety of set plays that actually allows me in a moment when I need a backdoor, allows me in a moment when I need a particular post touch or something like that? Do I have something I can call that can get the ball where I want it on the floor? And I think that's what you're really looking for is getting the ball in a particular place on the floor in a particular person's hands where you feel like you can have a high rate of success. Yeah, I look at it pretty simply. I, I agree with everything you just said. And it's, how do we how do we run and set plays that are in congruency with um, I don't think I've ever used that word congruency before, but they're congruent with what we already do, like our base offense, so that it looks the same. I'm always thinking about I want it to look the same. I don't want I want it to be disguisable, very disguisable. And then the second thing I'm thinking about, I want to put certain players and opportunities to be successful and not just one or two players, but I want different players to be able to have success, whether they're a great shooter, I'm going to run them off a flare or a great post player. I'm getting a cross screen action to bring them off, you know, on a switch on a smaller player in the post or, you know, double stack, you know, what giving, you know, a playmaker, the, the ball in space. So always thinking about that formations and then putting players in certain positions and then being able to run variations off of that just one set play. I think those are key pieces when thinking about it. Yeah. And, you know, the better teams get, then maybe the little, you know, the more you have to disguise things and, and can you have some false action or some misdirection action to get the ball where you want. A good one is like the cross screen to get it into the post. You know, you might come up against some teams that are really good at guarding, you know, strong side action. And so now you might have to actually to get the ball into the post, use some misdirection to put the ball where you want to go. I would say that it's true direction when the ball goes to the left and you screen the post player over to the left block. And some people are much stronger at guarding that type of action than if you were to disguise it and use misdirection to get the ball there. You know, one of the things I think you have to think about when you're running set plays 
at having been a college coach for a long time and having guarded a lot of set plays and run set plays over time is that it's really pretty staggering the percentage of time they don't work. Um, I think it was about four years ago when uh, I read an article and then we went back and charted multiple games on the, on the um, NCAA tournament and the number of set plays that were run and the actual number of times it led to a bucket much less led to it. I mean, led to a shot, much less a bucket. And the percentage is really, really low because at that time of year, you know, you're only still playing if you're really good defensively. And so these teams have scouted you, they're good defensively. And those set plays were being run and at a very, very, very low rate of success. It came down to the action afterwards. Now you can still run set plays just to get ball movement. You know, sometimes a set play can just get the ball swung from three to four sides of the floor, which can create better action on the back end. But I would hesitate to put all my eggs in the basket of just set plays and relying on that to be the core of my offense. I've just coached long enough and seen it long enough and seen the numbers on it to know that set plays cannot be all of your action, cannot be all of your offense. I agree with you. I, I have one kind of maybe pushback thought on it, but I, I like Villanova on their first championship run a few years ago, TJ, they ran five total set plays in, in the six game run to the championship. It was all created out of their base offense, space and play and, and just, you know, base motion offense that, that got them their, their scoring and their buckets. You know, we did a podcast where we interviewed a college coach, national champ, multinational championship, Remember how many play set plays he ran? 126. And I was telling that to my 17 you guys a couple of weeks ago and like saying, hey, guys, we have seven total plays in here. And some of y'all don't you, we can't get seven. I, I'd like to have a, just a cut. I'm talking inbound, side out, all that stuff. Total of seven. And all these guys want to play at the college level. Part of it is your basketball IQ. Um, and players need to understand that. Like, you've got to be able to execute what a coach is asking you to do. Or, I, you know, me personally, if, I, if we can't trust you to run a, a set play, like, it's going to be hard to put you in the game. And then I, I tell me what you think about this. I've thought this for several years, and we're in, in NBA playoff season. So many college, high school pro teams, I think at the end of a clock, end of a game, they, they just give it to the best player and tell them to go make a play. And, and sure, sometimes that works. Um, but we don't all have a Kobe or, or an MJ or Diana Taurasi. I think we miss opportunities as coaches to run good set play actions at the end of game to get action at the basket or good screen action to create a mismatch or miscommunication. I, think, I don't think that happens enough. I don't know if you see that in your league. I think at the end of shot clock, end of quarters, end of game, it's just go make a play. And I don't know that that's the best recipe either. Yeah, you know, one of the best, you know, pieces of X and O's advice I ever got for was from Lenny Acuff, who we've had on a couple of times. And, you know, he had this philosophy that I think is a really solid one, which it wouldn't really matter if it was shot clock or end of quarter, but it would apply to this as well, is they would say that a possession has redlined meaning like we're running our base offense and we're not getting what we want. Now there's 10 seconds, 12 seconds on the shot clock. And they would just say red. And it, when it went red, that just put them in late shot clock operation mode. And that would be that, you know, if the ball is on the right side of the floor, we're going to get into this. If it's at the top of the key, we're going to get to this. If it's on the left side of the floor, we're going to get into this. And that was, uh, you know, almost their answer to set plays. Now, 
Sometimes they would come down, run a set play, run their regular offense. They don't get anything out of it. They would yell red and that red would get them into their end of shot clock. And, you know, when you're thinking about developing a possession, you have to think about where do set plays fit in, you know, as you just brought up. Are we one of those teams that tries to attack and recognizes we're not getting the ball where we want, so we call a set play? Or are we going to come down and run a set play and we don't get it? Then we're going to go into our motion or our flow or read and react or whatever it is that you're going to run. But I think thinking about where does our set plays fit in the course of a possession is is really important because, you know, secondary is the same as set plays. Maybe you just run them on side out. Maybe like our preference for our team is, you know, we try and have a base set of set plays and a lot of times we'll just inbound the ball to run right into our play whether it's side out or inbounds underneath and just rather than having inbounds plays and side out of bounds plays occasionally we'll just run right into the set play and that's the time when we like to run them um, and then sometimes we get into mode where a hey, we're up by a certain amount and we start the possession with them and so i think you can also mix up where your set plays come you know it could we're going to go in transition then pull it out and run a set it could be we're going to run right it's so it just processing that as you're developing your set plays where do you want to run your set plays i think too running a set play to just get the action or create the advantage basketball is really good too so just run a set play you know for example you might run a side ball screen you're going to refuse but really you just want to open up a drive at the basket to put the defense in rotation and then you're going to use your base principles of read and react or space and play, whatever it is that you do to create the shot, but run a set play to initiate the advantage basketball. I think that can be a, a that's what I use a lot of times in set play action. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I think that's good. And, you know, I was thinking about watching the Gonzaga and Baylor, you know, finals and, you know, a couple of things that stood out to me and I'm always watching basketball, trying to pick stuff up. And, you know, I, I think that, you need to figure out how your how your set plays are going to be special. And I think that they those two teams totally contradicted each other in the way that they made their set plays special. I think Gonzaga had a lot of false action, um, a lot of, you know, you're going to guard us this way. We're going to make you pay for this. We're going to do, you know, they just really try high level of IQ execution in their set plays. Baylor, I think, was very just straightforward in the way they ran their set plays. But it also stood out to me that like their post players sprinted into their screens harder than anybody I saw in the entire tournament. And so even though they were straightforward, I think they were special in their execution. And then when I look at Gonzaga, I thought they were just special in what they were running with the false action to set stuff up. And so when you're going to set your set plays up, you've got to start thinking about, hey, are we going to use the actions we typically use or are we going to run when we call our set plays actions they're not used to seeing? Are we going to, you know, execute better than anybody else that we play or are we going to fake people better than anybody else we play with false action? You know, I, I think that thinking through your set plays and not that you can't do both, but it's hard to, you know, be the master of all. I think you need to think about how you want to put together your set plays and how they're going to separate you. I think my mistake early in my career was thinking just putting the X's and the O's in the right place was going to create a basket. And what I've learned over time is that really the execution is key to that, whether it's in the false action or whether it's in the way that you actually execute. But I don't think you should assume as a coach, just because you saw a great play, it's going to work for your team. I think you're going to have to make sure they're actually really special at doing it. 
Yeah. How, how you do it matters a lot more than what you do for sure. Yeah. That's what one thing, big takeaway from playing for coach Martin in high school, that was what I thought separated him. I didn't, you don't know it in the moment, but then after being around the game for so long, his attention to detail on set play execution was next level that I don't see many coaches have. Like it was like, you know, he's a point guard when you're dribbling into the wing to feed like that one extra dribble to get a better angle to feed the post matters. Whereas most players are lazy with it or coaches let that standard drop. And it's the difference in winning and losing. Cause when you're designing a set play, TJ, I mean, tell me if you disagree, but we're not, we're not designing it to beat the average team. It's going to work against average defense. Like, is it going to work against the best defense in your league, the best defense if you compete on a national or state level, is it going to work against them? And if the answer is no, then don't accept it. Like practice, be on point, be your, be a crazy attention to detail and get your players to understand that too. Um, or, you know, what are we doing? We're just, we're trying to be average at that point. Yeah. And I, I think another thing that you can do to help yourself in set plays coaches is, you know, watch the other team. You know, I think, generally you have a couple plays in your bag that work well against the pack line team that might not work against the high pressure team. And then you have some set plays that really work well against the high pressure team, but might not execute as well against the pack line team or something like that. And so being aware before you go into the game and typically what I do is I highlight the plays, you know, going into practice like two days before we run the three or four sets I think are going to work best against that particular team. And then the day before we go over them again and then we get into the game, you know, I highlight those plays on my sheet that these are the four that should be called the most. Now, not that the others couldn't be called, but if we're going to call many set plays, these are the ones I want to stay with because these will work best against that particular defense. And so, you know, coaches, I think there's a lot of things that you can do when you're thinking about running set plays. I mean, first, obviously, is age of stage. And then second is, you know, comparing those two things. Are you, are you hanging your hat on it? Or is it something that kind of throws the other team off? Or is it something you just use in a tight squeeze? But you need to know your general philosophy of set plays. Like, what, where do they fit into our offense? Are they the most important thing? Are they the least important thing? Are we running them 20% of the time, 80% of the time? You, you need to really pay attention. And then when you actually get into it, you know, what do we do special? Is it false action? Is it running straight at you, but executing better than the other teams? What is it that's going to separate you, you know, in, in your set plays? And, and how, are we, how are we going to bunch those plays together to make sure we have a good package? I like to have a good package going into the game versus every team. And if I have 12 set plays, like I said, I usually highlight about four, and that's our package for that particular game of what we're trying to really be effective with in those those four set plays. So, again, that's not the only way to do it, but that's just one way, and those are some things that you can think about when you're developing your set plays. Yeah, one, one last thought I would have, too, is I, I like to – I think it's good to run a set play to see how they're going to guard a certain action so that you know – as the game progresses. So I want to run a ball screen pretty early to see what do they do? Do they hedge? Do they trap? Do they aggressive switch it? Uh, what, how do they defend, you know, double staggers? You know, are they switching everything? So I think setting, you know, these different in our set plays, we have different types of screens being done and um, actions. So I think that's another benefit of running a set play early and get an idea of how the defense is going to play you. Yeah. 
Coaches, obviously there's a ton of ways to skin this cat and we'd love to hear all of your thoughts on the ways that you're doing it and what's working for you. And so if you get a chance, hit us up at hardwood underscore hustle. Uh, we'd love to to get some other thoughts and some other perspectives on this, you know, as well. And also coaches, if you get a chance, you know, share us with a friend or go like us on wherever you pull us up on, um, you know, whether it's uh, Spotify or whether it's iTunes, wherever you pull it up, we'd love to get a rating as we continue to try and grow the show and, and just share the game and, and try and make it uh, as informational and as, as helpful as we can uh, to educate, inspire and encourage coaches all over the place. So coaches, we just uh, thank you for listening and look forward to hearing your thoughts on set plays. That is Sam Allen and I am TJ Rosine. We are the Hardwood Hustle. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Hardwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. If you haven't already, don't forget to check out PGC's coaching clinics. There are six locations to choose from, and each clinic will feature a variety of topics and speakers, which you can check out now at pgccoaching.com. From the Harwood Hustle team, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Harwood underscore Hustle. We can't wait to be with you again next week.